You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. It's good to see that everybody made it this morning, even though you had to pump your own gas. Uh, Oregonians are quick to learn, hopefully, I think. So Uh, good morning. Uh, Thanks for coming today. Uh, My name is Gabe. I'm, uh, as you saw, one of the elders here. Uh, And uh, as I was just thinking about how to start this morning, um, I I have the privilege of uh, owning a business here in town. And a customer uh, comes in regularly. She's been coming for about a year. And she asks, every time she comes in, she says, uh, what is bringing you joy today? And uh, it's kind of an interesting question because rather than uh, simply saying a yes or no answer or saying good, Uh, or fine, um, it stops me and causes me to think. Uh, It it interrupts my normal uh, way of thinking, I think, uh, when I I would be used to just giving a quick response. Even if I'm having a particularly rough day or an uncaffeinated morning, uh, that question still forces me to see the good that brings me joy uh, in that day so far. I find that most often it's little things that come to my mind, uh, like the hug and kiss that I'll get from my son before I leave for work uh, in the day, or maybe a favorite song coming on shuffle on the, on the radio. <clears throat> this morning, though, what brings me joy uh, genuinely is to be here with you, to see uh, you all and to worship with you together. There are some Sundays, frankly, that I, I don't want to come to church. Uh, and there's some, uh, there's some weekdays that I don't want to go to work. Uh, but I think that if I stop to think what's bringing me joy, it's impossible to not find joy in this setting, to join you uh, in song and and worship uh, and just to see you guys. So thank you for helping bring me joy today. Uh, over Over the next four weeks, Greg and Steve and Matt and I are gonna be walking you through the book of Psalms. We've tried to keep a pretty healthy mix of Old Testament and New Testament uh, books or series as a church uh, over the years, and we believe that scripture from Genesis all the way to the end to Revelation uh, points towards the gospel. That's the good news of Christ, of his death and burial and resurrection and the forgiveness of our sins. Through the vast stories and examples that we read throughout scripture, uh, we see a lineage of Christ born fully human and in the infallible ways that he, the Son, is God. The beautiful and humbling thing about uh, Scripture pointing towards Christ uh, and learning that way is that we learn an awful lot about ourselves along the way, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Different stories throughout the Bible express historical records, as we know, um, together to unveil uh, the full picture of God's redemption story. When we open the book of Psalms, we see a collection of songs and poems and prayers and laments, all written and collected by authors who give an intimate look into their spiritual life. It helps us to better understand the depth of God's love for us and his character. I think many of us can relate to the book of Psalms as a whole uh, as we ask existential questions or uh, mourn and groan in, in depth of loss, maybe, uh, as we look for wisdom or, or sing in joy, um, all of those things are in the book of Psalms. And it helps us to also see that we're not alone. 
There are emotive styles used to write the book, which gives us perspective and words to apply to our own circumstances and relationship to, uh, with God. Out of 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, there's five smaller books, which seem to correlate uh, to the original five books of the Pentateuch, or the Torah. And in June, uh, Matt walked us through the uh, Psalms 23, which is part of book one. And he pointed out a common theme throughout the first book uh, that I think is captured well in Psalm 23, that we, as God's creation, are dependent upon him. We're rooted in him and secure most in him as our creator. As our shepherd, we receive all things from him. In Hebrew tradition, uh, as, as book one in, in Psalms refers to Genesis, uh, Genesis represents more than just the human's origin story, um, but is the birthplace of the Hebrew faith which began with the lineage of Abraham. Uh, and that links God's people to a promise of blessing and salvation. And so book one of Psalms focuses on statements uh, of confidence in God, who alone can save, just as we see through the early stories in Genesis. This leads us to book two of Psalms, which I'm going to walk through today. Uh, it reflects some of the general themes of Exodus, I'd like to focus uh, mostly on the, the theme of deliverance and how uh, the story of Exodus through Psalm 42 through 72 uh, present a voice of lament and distress, uh, seeking God from deliverance in times of trouble, persecution, and sin. We'll see that some of the record of David's life here reads similar to the deliverance of the Israelites in Exodus. So let me pray before I begin. Lord, we just thank you for this day. May my words be your words. Um, I ask that we can hear today with open hearts and open minds to grasp the story of salvation as you have delivered us. In your name, amen. I spent a lot of my time in preparation for this sermon over the last couple weeks um, listening to those psalms. There's 30 of them, uh, 42 through 72, um, just on audio, audio Bible um, and reading them. Uh, hoping that one would stand out along the way, or a couple of them would stand out. Um, but I found each time that something would stand out to me, I was just getting lost in the depth of uh, just the depth of each psalm's rhythm and the, the cadence that, that you can hear through the author's prayers. Just the beginning of each psalm is so full of raw honesty. I think looking at Psalm 43, it says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. Or Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm 56, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, and an attacker oppresses me. Psalm 59, deliver me from my enemies, protect me from those who rise up against me. Or Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. They're pretty bold cries out to the Lord. I think in contrast, there's also a tone of hope in some of these psalms, despite the circumstances that the writers are in. There's several writers of, of this section. Uh, many of the psalms are ones which we might be more familiar with. Listen to the beginning of some of these ones. Uh, psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Or Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. 
Most of these psalms were written by David, and some were by the sons of Korah, and a few others. We, we don't know who wrote them, but we, uh, as we think of each psalm and how it was collected into a book that reflects one of the books of the Torah, the idea of deliverance is present in this second book of psalms. We see here that there is a communal voice uh, compared to the first book. Many of the hymns arranged, many of the psalms arranged here are, are hymns uh, that were written in such a way they would have been sung collectively, often to a specific tune. As you'll note at the beginning of some of the psalms, they're directed to a choir master uh, with lots of musical references throughout the entire book of psalms. Here at Hub City, uh, we believe that an exegetical approach is one of the best ways to respect God's word and represent the truths within his word. And it's sort of a, a critical explanation or interpretation of the text where we try to go verse by verse generally, uh, looking into the context of uh, history, studying the words and trying to get a full understanding of what God is trying to tell us today, as well as what was uh, portrayed and, and told in the original context. So despite my original dancing around all the different psalms and trying to have one stand out, finally, I think there are a couple that did stand out to me that I felt represented uh, the, the book two of psalms well. Uh, looking deeper is going to help us understand God's character and how un in union with God, these words can become our own expression. First, I would like to read Psalm 51. This is part of a story that many of, our, many of us are familiar with, uh, where D David had lusted after Bathsheba, um, and uh, Nathan confronted him, convicting him of his sin. And so as I read Psalm 51, uh, listen to David's cry as he sought deliverance uh, from his sins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop so I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your sins, hide my face from hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices. In burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
That was Psalm 42, uh, 51, excuse me. And most obviously we hear David's penitent prayer and his cry for forgiveness from God through this psalm. And throughout history, people have used this psalm as a prayer uh, to see God's grace and give way for us to confess our sins earnestly. David's posture here is not one of wallowing in his sin and guilt endlessly, because although he's vulnerable and humbly, pen humbly penitent, uh, he does so with a craving for God and his goodness. To truly recognize the depths of our sin and God's grace is to be renewed and restored in the knowledge that despite our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. And we should have a spirit of joy despite our sins, joy focused in God's forgiveness. I think that's maybe why we can earnestly answer that question of what's bringing us joy today if someone were to ask you that. David had a great insight of the hope of a future Messiah when he says in verse 16 and 17, uh, for you will do not, not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, for the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I don't believe that this suggests that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were meaningless, but that David understood the sacrifices were meaningless if they did not reflect the heart of the person offering those sacrifices to God. In our prayers of confession, acknowledging our sins uh, and seeking forgiveness from God, do we sit more in the guilt of our sin than we do under the grace that exists to forgive us from that sin? David here not only committed adultery, but he planned the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And despite the depths that he recognizes of his own sin, he chooses to rest in the knowledge that God and his grace is mighty and powerful enough to forgive any sin. And so can we. In the book of Exodus, we read the story of God's people being delivered from the oppression of the Egyptians. I think that whether it's oppression from a people or from our sins or oppression from circumstances, we see through this and other Psalms, in, especially in book two, that God goes before us. He's our deliverer and our ever-present help in times of trouble. One of the major themes in Exodus, obviously, is the law. As we know, the Ten Commandments were recorded by Moses, ultimately to show believers how to love God and love one another. It exists to point out also that we are helpless uh, to bridge the gap that sin creates between us and God. Galatians 3.19 tells us that that is why the law here is here. It says, the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. That's Christ. Again, it is Christ and Christ alone who restores that relationship. And David's cry here in Psalm 51 acknowledges that brokenness as he yearns deeply for a relationship with God and the forgiveness of guilt and wrongdoing. I believe there's a difference between the conviction of our sin from the Holy Spirit versus accusation from Satan. I recently listened to a sermon on Psalm 51 by R.C. Sproul, and he pointed out that difference as well, uh, that Satan has perhaps the same acknowledgement of our sin as the Holy Spirit does, um, and pointing out things in our lives that maybe we truly are guilty of, but his accusation of guilt is meant to leave us feeling desperate and continually separate from God, hopeless and helpless. 
Whereas the conviction of the Holy Spirit is, yes, to acknowledge his sin in Psalm 51 and our, our sins, uh, but in the security of salvation in God. Not hopeless, but hopeful in God's forgiveness. Sproul states that God, uh, the Spirit never drives us to despair, but is working for our restoration. Taking a deeper look into the position of our heart in need of deliverance, uh, I'd like to look into Psalm 42. Thanks, Danielle, for reading that earlier. It's a chapter that many of us are familiar with, I think. Uh, maybe some of you, like me, are most familiar with it because there's a lot of hymns and songs uh, written from this uh, Psalm 42. In Growing up in the 90s, there was a song that was uh, put to a specific tune. I, just grew, I grew up singing uh, that all the time. And you can't sing or even read Psalm 42 without it becoming a prayer of your own heart because it's so emotive. Many of the Psalms in book two and three particularly uh, seem to be written out of a place of darkness in the writer's life, even a spiritual depression. And we live in a day that depression is talked more about than ever. It sheds light on a topic that has long been taboo, I think, in the church. And the Psalms don't shy away from darkness at all <laughs> uh, that, that we're familiar with as well. Our expectation of deliverance, especially in dark times, may be different than how God might deliver us. What if deliverance actually looks like being satisfied in Christ? When reading Psalm 42, we see someone who's going through a dark depression, but they're doing it well. They're not ignoring their depression, nor are they fully despaired, but they're acknowledging their satisfaction in God despite their circumstances. This isn't necessarily to be understood, uh, I think, as a, a clinical or chemical depression. Uh, in those situations, it's really hard to proclaim or even impossible to proclaim a state of mind. Uh, but in a spiritual depression and misery, dark seasons in our lives where circumstances are oppressive, uh, we should be able to react in honesty before our God who hears us. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? In verse 5 and 11, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. He's clearly in turmoil, and he feels like he's drowning. It's possible that everyone in this room, at some point or another, has felt that way. Maybe you feel that way today. Has someone ever told you simply to hope in God when you're depressed and down? It usually doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't go so well. Some of the most challenging times in my life have been in the last few years, even in the last few weeks, I've experienced moments of discouragement. I've felt defeated. This psalm gives me words to cry out with, not to fix me or to make my darkness magically disappear, but to lament and to press in. The writer here isn't praying for relief from the darkness only, but telling his soul to be satisfied in God. Jesus gives reference to this chapter in Matthew 26, when he's leaving the disciples in the garden to go pray uh, the night of his arrest. He says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And just as it uh, says in Psalm 42, verse 5, it says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Jesus, similarly, in the same tone, says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was coming. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And just like it says in Psalm 42, Jesus knows darkness. 
He had experienced it in many more times than just this scene in the, dark, in the garden before his arrest. But he also knows his father. And he knows his father's merciful character. I think like the tree in Jeremiah 17, planted by the water, it may still go through seasons of drought or storm, but its roots go deep. Its bark may show the scars and trials of oppression, but it's still alive and rooted, just as the psalmist can acknowledge that even in his circumstances, he will hope in God and praise him. I think that's a directive for us, to always store up the words uh, of God and encouragements and truths of his word, which reveal his character, to store them up in our hearts and so depend on them in rough times and in good times. He isn't preaching, this, this psalmist here, isn't preaching positive thinking, excuse me, isn't practicing positive thinking, but is preaching to his own soul. There's a difference. Have you ever changed the voice in your head yelling at you to instead directly speak to yourself? Do you beat yourself up with hurtful self-talk? Or can you remind yourself, your soul, that God is your source? That he chose and created you in his image? That's what the psalmist is doing here, reminding himself that he's rooted in the God who saves. Rather than reading this psalm, I'd like to invite uh, Bryce up He's going to sing a song that was written from this psalm, and I think that the song conveys and articulates a tone that maybe had existed when this psalm was written, and so I invite you just to, to sit and listen to the words. Uh, if you would like to sing along, of course you can, but uh, let this scripture in song form wash over you. Hear how the author may have sought God in the midst of his spiritual depression rather than staying lost in darkness. I ask, uh, I, I pray that these words be um, your prayer as Bryce sings them, and then I'll come back up. I've lost my appetite, and a flood is welling up behind my eyes, so I eat the tears I Worship you 
That was a very emotive song. I think that uh, that psalm probably had a, a tone similar to that when it was written. And we can pour out our hearts before God, just like that. He's a safe place for us to bear our soul. A natural response to threats and darkness is fear and depression. I can't stress, though, how valuable praying through the Psalms or singing through them can be because God's Word provides a posture for us to sit in. Looking at one more book in Psalm 2, hear this response to anxieties and loud external forces on our minds. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the words of the Lord, how he has brought desolation upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And here's the kicker, another way to preach to our soul. God's response to all that. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. We can pray that way. I believe that there's an array of tones uh, from God in this verse. Uh, Perhaps it's a commanding and booming voice telling us to stop it, be still, and know. Or in another tone, like a parent comforting a toddler who doesn't understand pain, saying quietly and tenderly, shh, be still. Know that I am God. God offers deliverance through his mercy. In verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 8, the psalmist writes, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's God's, uh, God's constant mercy that the psalmist acknowledges, which elicits praise in the psalmist's darkness and depression. Just as oppressed Israel in the book of Exodus, who yearned for freedom and deliverance, This book, uh, two of Psalms, is a lament and cry in the darkness while still seeing God's mercy through it all. Here are the bookends of the second book of Psalms. In Psalm 42, at the beginning, the psalmist asks the question, where can I go to meet God? He says, why have you forgotten me? And in Psalm 42, the end of book two, God answers, I am with you. Where do we find God? Not in a place, but in a person. That person is Christ. In a moment, we'll have the chance to respond uh, with rhythms that reflect our our relationship with Christ, uh, direct responses to the gospel. But if you're in a place of distance from God or, or darkness, like we read in the Psalms today, I believe that you can be satisfied in Christ. Do you, just as a deer pants for water, pant and desire and long for relationship with God, knowing that it's more than just a life of forgiveness, but an eternal life with him? If that's the desire of your heart, I encourage you to respond in kind. God reveals himself through his word. He's approachable in prayer, and he invites relationship. This morning, we're going to respond in several ways, as we make a habit of here at Hub City, uh, by singing, by praying, by giving, and by receiving. And in receiving uh, the bread that we will have here uh, and wine and take part in tradition, we take part in a tradition practiced by millions of Christians around the world, which recognizes what Christ did for you and I. 